don't know if you notice the images on the front of the bulletin. The word is flawed. And you see some things there on the front that were flawed. Remember the Hugo? It was flawed. Uh, new coat came out and they quit making old coat for not too very long. Not a good idea. You see the History Channel shows of the multi-winged airplanes trying to take off and that's always a disaster. The Edsel didn't go over so well in 1958. You see the Pinto at the bottom? Weren't those the ones that would blow up if you hit them just right? Not a good idea. And I'd never heard of the other one until I Googled it this week. Cheetos Lip Balm Chapstick. <laughs> That's why you've never heard of it. <laughs> As I put pictures on the bullet that our pet did it for flaw, should our pictures be on there? I don't mind should. I, I don't mind should. Uh, I want to show you a video about flaws of biblical proportion.
The time is coming when it no matter, no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one we worship, while we Jews know all about him. Salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I love the encounter. Jesus was a very, very flawed individual. He breaks a lot of social rules in this encounter because of his love for everyone. Now, the purpose of the Gospel of John is to reveal Christ as God in the human body and to really put the spotlight on Jesus. And John does this all throughout the book. And so this story is not primarily about the Samaritan woman. It's about Jesus. And let's see what we can learn about him here. It's funny that when the flawed are called by Jesus to change and be forgiven, uh, we very often make it about ourselves. We resist. We say, you know, I can't. Uh, but this story proves otherwise. The key to chapter 4 is, is in uh, verse 26 where Jesus says that he is the Messiah. He is God. So let's see what God does. What I love about chapter 4 in this story is that Jesus isn't too particular about who he deals with. I find great comfort in that. He loves all of us equally, no matter how flawed we are. God's love is indiscriminate. We learned that she was a Samaritan, and she was just the opposite of the encounter. If you go home and read chapter 3, you remember the story about Nicodemus? She's exactly the opposite of what happened in the chapter before. Nicodemus was a Jew, and she was a Samaritan. Nicodemus, a man, this is a woman. Nicodemus was educated, she was probably uneducated. Nicodemus was high class, and she was an outcast. Nicodemus was wealthy and she was most likely poor. And what I love is that Jesus in both encounters treated them equally. And that's important. Jesus went to this village of Shikar intentionally. Notice in verses 3 and 4 in John chapter 4, it says, He left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now the shortest path, if you do geography, from Judea to Galilee, was right through Samaria. Judea is to the south, Galilee is to the north, Samaria is sandwiched between the two. Now what the Jews did, because of their hatred of the Samaritan people, and we'll talk more about that in a minute why, they would cross the River Jordan to the east. They would head north, bypassing Samaria altogether. Then they would cross the Jordan again and head west so they could just avoid the area. Jesus needed, it says, to go through Samaria. I had a lesson to teach, not just them then and there, but us here and now. We're told it was about the sixth hour in the original language. Uh, we don't know if John is using Roman time or Jewish time. It could be noon, it could be 6 p.m., we don't know. Some versions just say noon, and I agree, I have to think it was noon. And I think the woman goes to the well at noon because she didn't want to run into anybody. She went there in the heat of the day because, well, she was tired. 
She was tired of all the looks and the snickers and the finger pointing and the shutting. So she waited for the heat of the day when nobody could be out so she could get the water. So I picture here her going to the well hoping no one is there. We do know that this well mentioned is about a good half mile out of town. There would have been water closer, but again, she wanted to get away from people. In verse 8 of John chapter 4, we see that Jesus is already there. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to find some food. So, so it's a desolate, deserted place. It's interesting. Jesus went out of his way for this appointment. He went through a land where a lot of people wouldn't go through. He went at a time of day when nobody would be there, but he knew who was coming. And he was waiting for her. Jesus goes out of his way for us, doesn't he? How often has he done that for us to get our attention? Remember last week we told you the, the story about the car wash and the balloon and the little boy and meeting the Christians? After church, Steve Love told me a better story that he lived through at Texas A&M. Uh, Steve was wrestling with God and God was wrestling with Steve. And if you know Steve, he's an honest man. And Steve said to God, Look, I need you to either prove to me you are real or just leave me alone. That's what Steve said. He was standing on the campus of Texas A&M. The prayer had just come out of his mouth that a car stopped, that a guy got out, and he asked him to a navigator meeting, a religious group, a divine appointment at College Station. It's not the spiritual center that Oxford or Starkville is, but it's okay. <laughs> God's caring changed Jesus. Back to the story. The woman couldn't take it anymore. And she's had a tough life. And she sees a man sitting at the well. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And with that, she is shocked. And three reasons that this is shocking. Number one, men did not speak to women in public. It just didn't happen in the day. Rabbis suggested that in public, you not even talk with your wife or your sister or your daughter. There were provisions made to talk to your mother in public. That was about all they wanted you to do, men and women. Reason number two that this was shocking, he was a religious leader and she was basically a prostitute. Rabbis and religious leaders did not speak with that type of women. In fact, there was a group of Pharisees known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. They were known as that. Because every time they saw a woman, they would close their eyes and put their heads down and keep going. And so they'd always bump into something and fall into It's like you see people texting. Well, that's what the rabbis were doing. Not texting, but just moving with their head down so they didn't even have to look at her. And that's why it's shocking. And the third reason was he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. Verse 9 in John 4. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Why are you talking to me? Why was there such prejudice? In 720 BC, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom and the Jews were hauled into captivity and only a few Jews were left in the area. So other people moved into, into their houses around the region, all these empty towns and houses. And they came from places like Babylon, Haman. And so the foreigners began to marry the remaining Jews. 
Jews, and the Jews weren't supposed to do that. And the offspring became known as Samaritans. And they really didn't have a place to belong. The Jews didn't like them, and they didn't like the Jews. Even today, in Orthodox Jewish families, if somebody marries, this is Orthodox, but if somebody marries outside of their faith, then that person is dead to the family. They'll break their plate, and they'll no longer have a place at the table. So when the woman said that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, she used a Greek word that's interesting that usually that means to share vessels together. She was really shocked that Jesus was willing to use the same cup. As a child, I remember spending some time, I might have told you this story, but it's so pivotal in my life in Mississippi. And my family had a man who would come and help us do work. His name was Ray Yarber. Remember Ray? Now, Ray was a black man, and he was up in his years, probably in his mid-60s. I was 12 years old. And he would call me sir. I didn't like that one bit. And so I called him sir right back. And he didn't know how to handle that. When it was time to eat, he would never sit at the table. We would always set a place at the table, but he wouldn't do it. He'd want to sit on the back porch. And he wouldn't want to drink out of one of our glasses. He'd want to drink out of a ball jar. Although we always had a place and always made it ready, Ray wouldn't do it. It was his choice, not our family's. My stepmother would always try. Ray couldn't bring himself to the table. He grew up not sharing vessels. And so that's what's going on. Jesus is with a woman that just, they're not supposed to. So it's pretty amazing what's happening here. Jesus is breaking so many barriers and he shatters them and it's all because of his love. Jesus also, it's interesting, wastes no time in turning this conversation into something heavenly. She wants water, and he offers living water. She just wants something to drink that any of us could have, but Jesus had something much better for her. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. She wants an excuse not to interact with people again. She was all for not having to come back to this well. And I love what happens next. At this point, Jesus doesn't say, okay, here it is, and just zap her with eternal life. What he does, because conversion is about recognition of a need, dealing with our past and our flaws once and for all. Jesus says in verse 16, go get your husband. And she probably put her head down and thought, oh, don't mention that. She can't believe he said. To her, it's a deal breaker. This is the area of her life when she was so flawed and so messed up, she thinks she's disqualified. And Jesus presses the point in verse 17 and 18. I don't have a husband, the woman said. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. You're not even married to the man you're living with now. And this was indeed a scandal of the day. You certainly spoke the truth. And here, this flawed woman, guilty in front of God, and what does God do? He's offering her eternal life. He's offering her living water, salvation. Look at the rest of the story. Beginning verse 27. Just then his disciples came back, and it says they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. 
But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? They needed to learn a lesson too. The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That probably was no surprise in the village because they'd been talking about everything she ever did every day in the village. But then she said something that got their attention. Could this be the Messiah? So the people came, straining from the village to find out. Beginning in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, He told me everything I ever did. He loved her. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard of ourselves. Now we know that he's the Savior of the world. What I have excited, what I'm excited for this woman at the village, at the well, I am most excited that this is our God. <coughs> And he loves us as flawed as we are. So today you've got a few choices. Let me share with you. Well, I let God love and forgive me if you've never gone through that transformation in your life. You need to make it about him and not you and let him have his way and give you that living water. As flawed as we are, he loves us. And I believe God has made divine appointments with all of us and we all have our stories how he's gone out of his way to come and see. So accept that living water no matter what. But the other thought is let's not disqualify others around us. Let's not have untouchables in our life that we can take the good news to and share with them the love of Jesus. I am so glad he uses the flaws and all. And I'm glad that he loves 